Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Destination Draft Day. Michael Rockman here with Nick Durst. Nick, we had an exciting opening week of NFL football. We had some college football as well. Any uh, any big takeaways for the week and how you feeling about it? The Jets. <laughs> the Jets are going to be getting Trevor Lawrence. I don't know. I mean, they are putrid. Josh Allen, I can't remember if you were a fan of his or not. I think he took a huge step in the right direction. Uh, Kyler Murray, incredible. He's he's my pick for MVP this year. And overall, it's it an interesting day. And the big surprise, not really for me, it's just that Gardner Minshew is actually really good. And the Jaguars are not tanking, contrary to what people think. He, he was good. Uh, they won, of course, the Lions, who... I said I think they're going to have the worst record in the league this year. They maybe should have won the game, but they lost, so their their draft stock's looking pretty good right now. Uh, and excited for tonight. You got Monday Night Football. My Giants are playing and probably going to lose, um, but we'll see. I'm interested to see how Joe Judge looks, and uh, it's it should be it should be a good night. And this our buddy right here, MLB. Rolls one wants to know your prediction for the Titans game tonight, Michael. And Riley, I guess, goes, let's go, baby. Monday Night Football is back. Yes, it is back. But, Michael, you want to get predictions for the games tonight and then your takeaways from this weekend? Yeah, I think something that we saw for this weekend was that a lot of it came down to familiarity. And the teams that kind of were returning a lot of starters ended up having a lot more success whenever it came to this weekend. So whenever I look at that tonight, I think the Giants have a pretty good chance against the Steelers because Big Ben's been out for so long, and we haven't gotten to see him really work with these receivers. Obviously, you know, when it comes to the Steelers' defense, they're one of the best in the NFL. But I think this Giants team has some momentum coming into the game, has some uh, young blood that's going to really energize this unit, and I think it could potentially result in a very surprisingly close game. Now, for the next game, Titans versus Broncos, I'm not feeling as confident for the younger squad, which is the Broncos. I think the Titans should be able to easily control that. I think the defense is one of the most underrated in the NFL. I'm not huge on Drew Locke yet. Obviously, he had a very strong rookie season, and if he has another great year, then you know I'll, I'll probably have to just accept that I was wrong on him. But I think right now I'm still questioning uh, a lot about him, and I'm not – for certain that he will put up the numbers that maybe are expected of him right now from the more biased Broncos fans. So for the Giants versus Steelers, I'm going to go with the Giants. I'm going to say the Giants uh, get a lot of momentum going. I think it's going to be some sloppy offensive play on both ends. I think the Steelers defense is just very talented, whereas the offense I think is just trying to get familiar, trying to get more, uh, chemistry going between Big Ben and his receivers. And then for the next game, for the Steelers versus Broncos, or sorry, Titans versus Broncos, I got the Titans winning probably by about two scores. Yeah, I think uh, 
I think the Steelers are in for a really big bounce back year. And Titans, I think they'll be in the playoffs again. What what are your takeaways from Drew Locke's first season at, and Daniel Jones as well? I think both these guys exceeded my expectations for them. Both of them really put the teams on their back once they were able to step in into the starter spot and had some very surprising moments that really could make teams hopeful for their future. As a rookie, it's never going to be a clean ride where you're just dominant the entire way. And I think they showed enough upside to where these teams should be confident in them, that their quarterbacks for at least the next two years, I assume, as long as you know these teams aren't so bad that they end up with the first pick in the draft. I believe when you look at guys like Daniel Jones, like Drew Locke, you have to really take into the fact that their offensive lines weren't really where they needed to be last season. And the fact that they were able to produce at moments and put up some good games really shows that there is potential there. So while I'm not 100% sold on either of them, I do think that they had pretty good rookie seasons to where there's enough faith going into year two that they could be pretty solid. Do you think that Jones is going to be able to clean up his turnover issues? More so, it's just a matter of him fumbling the ball a lot. And I, I think maybe that comes with him trying to maybe do too much. He was running around a lot. But if you look at the offense, I mean, I don't know about the offensive line. We'll, we'll see about that. But at the skill positions, you got Saquon Barkley, who is probably, if not the best, one of the top three running backs in the league. Sterling Shepard's really good slot receiver. Golden Tate's a great slot receiver. Um, Darius Slayton had a great rookie year, so he's going to probably continue with his good chemistry with Dan Jones. Evan Ingram, he's probably going to get hurt, but he has some skills there. So, you know, there are there is talent around him. Uh, unlike Sam Donald, who we saw struggle trying to make a lot happen throwing picks, but with Daniel Jones, it, it really just comes down to is he going to continue to hold on to that ball too long, or is he is he going to just go down easily? You know, what what do you, you think? That's something that he could clean up pretty 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 easily this year, or do you think that's that might be the only thing that could potentially be holding him back from taking a big step in his second year? Yeah, and I think like you mentioned, usually whenever these rookies have turnover issues, it usually is interceptions. And for Daniel Jones, it's fumbles, holding on to the ball too long, taking sacks. While the Giants' offensive line was far from perfect, we saw a lot of issues with Daniel Jones taking too long on making reads, waiting too long to get rid of the ball, being a little gun-shy. And you kind of don't want that for a rookie. You want him to be more willing to take risks and then eventually grow to deciding into making better risks, making better throws as his career goes along. So when you have a QB like that, the biggest thing is you just don't want him to become cautious to where he's just checking down every play. And you kind of limit your offense to where you're making little five-yard passes all game, but you can never take the top off of the defense. And then eventually, you know, those better defenses that can cover the ground take away your entire game plan once they're stacking the box and taking away what's underneath. So for Daniel Jones, unlike a lot of rookies, you have to learn how to really push the ball downfield and create plays going forward. And I think that kind of hurts him for this cast because Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate are very good receivers, but I think they're both a lot better when they're working in the short game. So it really comes down to how Slayton's going to be in the long game and really pushing the ball downfield. I think Golden Tate's capable as well. Evan Ingram can stretch down the seam. So, you know, I do love this setup. I think the Giants' offense is a bit underrated at the moment, but I think the biggest thing is trying to work the ball downfield to where they're making plays that are going deep and getting, you know, success in that in that regard. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, we interested to see how a lot of these rookies from last year take a big step forward this year. And we'll talk about some of the other the other games from this weekend and our thoughts. But you know, this is a draft show, so we got to talk a little about college football, of course. So, Michael, what what really stood out to you this weekend, uh, especially with a lot of the ACC action going on? No upsets. Everyone who we thought was going to win won, um, but there were there were some good games, and I'm sure there were some few notable standouts on the field. Yeah, I think some of the biggest standouts were probably the more established teams. Clemson looked very good. Travis Etienne really has improved his game, which is hard to imagine with how dominant he was last season already. 
But this Clemson defense and offense looks well above standard. They look really intact. And you look at how the NFL had a lot of, you know, sloppy play, and it's because they didn't have this full offseason to take advantage of really getting the team chemistry intact. We saw it even more in college football where there's less polish already on these players as it is. But as we move forward, there's just issues whenever it comes to having so many new starters, so many rotating pieces, and just young kids trying to establish their game. So when we are seeing teams like Florida State, teams like Iowa State who lost to Louisiana Lafayette, it's just there's so much changing going on that some of these teams that will probably have a pretty good season and probably would have had a better season without this offseason are really coming in pretty sloppy. And it's it's going to be a lot of teams that we see have a huge projection from where how they looked in that first week of the season compared to the final weeks. Yeah, it's it's going to be a slow build on the, on the pro level and the, and the college level. That Of course, everyone had their practices, but it's really nothing like game action, um, you know, going up against different competition. You know, I'm sure in week one, people are always, they're watching the preseason tape to see what's going on, especially when you have newer coaches or guys who, especially in college football, if you have young guys who didn't even play last year. Uh, but yeah, I think the story of the weekend, as you mentioned, were those two star players. Then, and of course, Michael, you had Notre Dame debut in the ACC. Yeah, Notre Dame looked very good. The offensive line controlled the game all game. And, you know, I, I was hyping up Liam Eikenberg the show before, telling people that I think he's the offensive tackle number two. Week one had a very strong week, so I'm feeling good about the take. We'll see how, how that progresses through the duration of the season. But feeling good right now. Liam Eikenberg, very solid left tackle for Notre Dame. And as time goes on, I think he's going to be a great tackle for an NFL team as well. Yeah, I think we mentioned it last week, but Notre Dame, they have this habit of just putting out these all-pro <laughs> offensive linemen. You think there's any any reason why that happens to be? Or you think just because Quinton Nanslow is so good or, you know, guys before him and now people say, oh, I want to go play for, for Coach Kelly because if I'm with him and I'm an offensive lineman, that's going to definitely help me out going to the pro level. Yeah, I think once you establish tradition, you start to see a lot of the same position players start to come to your school. So you look at like Oklahoma, they're always going to be in contention for the top quarterbacks in the recruiting ranks because these guys realize what Lincoln Riley could do with quarterbacks. When you look at, you know, running backs, they're going to be looking at Alabama because of how much success they've had at that position. When you look at tight ends, they're going to consider schools like Iowa, Arkansas, stuff like that, because they've had such success at the position. So when you look at offensive line, the two schools that really stand out to me, well, I guess three, is probably Iowa, Wisconsin, and Notre Dame. Those three schools have had a immense amount of success at the offensive line position. There's other programs like Alabama that, you know, just are really good at every position, but when you look at some of these schools, they just specialize at these positions, and Notre Dame is very good at producing offensive linemen. You get some good coaches in there, you have some great pros turn out, and you start to create a cycle, and you have these opportunities at these high-level, high-potential prospects coming in as recruits, and you have to develop them, and Notre Dame has done a great job of taking advantage of that. And so now we just continue to see this cycle of great players coming through. Absolutely. Was there any any players, maybe their team didn't do so well, but they did make an impression on you this weekend? For NFL or college? College. For college, I think one of the things that stood out to me was just, you know, and we talked about it with both already, but it's just there's so much sloppy play going on. And I think we saw that mostly with, I mean, Texas – Tech almost lost to Houston Baptist University. And I think, you know, the path was pretty sloppy for Texas Tech. And I think that just kind of shows when you have a school that's kind of all air raid as Texas Tech is, and they're struggling with Houston Baptist, it kind of goes to show that the, the past game relies a lot on chemistry, continuity in practice, and just continued work in that regard. And when you have off seasons pulled from you, when you have all these issues that are taken from you, 
and you don't get to work them out, you know, there's not much you can do, but at the same time, it's going to cause some sloppy play once the season starts. And we saw it with Texas Tech against Houston Baptist. I think Texas Tech ended up winning. Let me check real quick. Texas Tech won still, 35-33. But there's there's definitely some issues that these schools are going to want to work out. These offenses are going to want to change. And it really just comes down to how long until we see that. And I think Texas Tech is going to have a great passing offense. But it's just these small changes that are going to make light years of difference. And you didn't get in the offseason. So now it's going to take longer into the season. So some of these, you know, developmental guys that we really didn't get to get a true basis on, true judgment on, we're going to see as the season progresses who really develops as we go week to week. And I think those guys are going to see a bigger jump in their draft stock than usual. Yeah, I think the game that surprised me the most is the fact that the Louisiana Lafayette Raging Cajuns put a beating on the the Iowa State Cyclones. What does this do for your guy Brock Purdy's draft stock here? I don't know how I have him coming into the season. Rough game, 16 for 35, 145 yards with an interception, no touchdowns. Uh, I I was never really very high on Brock Purdy. I think you're misremembering, but I I haven't been very high on Brock Purdy in this game. You know, I don't want to hold it too much against him because I've been saying it for every everyone else that it just comes down to how how we really progress from this point to the end of the year. But it's not a good start for sure. Whenever you're a star quarterback, as Brock Purdy is, I think you just gotta. You got to put the team on your back a little bit. And, you know, losing this game hurts for Iowa State, hurts for Purdy Stock, hurts for guys like Matt Campbell, who, you know, have built a bit of a coaching regard for them and put themselves at a very high level. So, you know, what Purdy does going forward is huge, and he still has a chance to be a, a good prospect. Like I said, I'm not as high on him as others. Some people have him as high as the first round. I don't think he'll be there, but. You know, if he has a good year, if he progresses, continues to make strides, then there's still a chance that NFL teams will respect him come draft season. Yeah, I, I must mistake him by one of our famous commenters. Perhaps it was <laughs> our guy, Glock Lesnar, who was, was all our Brock party. Uh, but thank you for joining, and please help us spread the word as you can catch us on the Chris Landry Twitch channel at www.twitch.tv slash chrislandryfootball. And you can listen to this podcast on your mobile device by signing up for Landry Football's conference call wherever you get your podcasts. For a look at the game of football from a coaching, scouting, administrative perspective, go to landryfootball.com today. From high school, college to the NFL, from recruiting to NFL draft to food and safe, from pregame to postgame film analysis to all the inside scoop on players, Teams, coaches, and schemes on triple.com is your source for all things football. And of course, we got Monday Night Football tonight, Michael. We discussed slightly a little bit about what we saw this week in the NFL. But what was your you know big takeaways, or was there anything that really surprised you from the first week of football? You know, I think what surprised me most was just you expect whenever the past game kind of has all these issues that these teams are going to rely on the run game. The only guy who broke 100 yards on the ground as a running back was Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And you wouldn't expect that from a rookie running back considering the offseason that they've had to go through. You'd think, okay, if they're going to be depending on the run, all teams, and there's only one guy, it's probably going to be a guy like Zeke, a guy like you know Dalvin Cook, a guy like Joe Mixon, stuff like that, where these running backs are really – able to carry their teams. I probably would have bet my money on Zeke just because it's a late night game. You know, new head coach really just kind of want to establish the run game entirely and depend on that all game. And Zeke was close, but the only guy was a rookie running back out of LSU, Clyde Edwards Lair. It just kind of goes to show that it really just depends on opportunity and just there's a lot of a lot of changes going on this season, whether it's a run game or pass game. There's a lot of sloppy play going on. The Chiefs really seem to be the cleanest team of the week. The Saints look pretty good as well. But we're, we're Adrian, definitely... Adrian Peterson looked good. <laughs> Adrian Peterson looked all right, you know. And I just want to say real quick, for the Lions fans out there, DeAndre Swift is going to make up for the drop touchdown. It was a bad play. I'm not excusing it at all. He probably hates the fact that he dropped it as well. But he's a good running back. Don't hate him yet. 
He's gonna he's gonna give you guys some great games going forward. He'll make up for the play. It's rough now, but hold out hope. Don't don't throw him to the fire yet. Yeah, that, that's rough, and you know who knows what his future is gonna hold. It seemed like he had talent. I mean, he had he had the rushing touchdown that was rough, but is uh, you know looking around. You know, Adrian Peterson had one of the better days, and. You know, they seem like a pretty good duo in the backfield. Uh, Kyler Murray is sixth in the league in rushing with 100, uh, with uh, 91 yards. So, as you mentioned, only person to break 100 yards is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Maybe Saquon Barkley surpasses that tonight. Uh, but, you know, was there any was there any rookies overall that really caught your eye and perhaps were your, your rookies of the week? And, you know, NFL, I think, does give out the rookie of the week award. Let's see. Let's let's hear what you had to, to think about that. Yeah. So my top five rookies of the week right now, I got to go with Joe Burrow. I think he had a very impressive game. It was a very, you know, conservative game in terms of game plan, throwing 64 percent, 193 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He had some missed throws and he had to deal with the very, you know, awful offensive line with Bobby Hart at right tackle. They cannot stick with this man at right tackle. I I try not to be too negative on the show, but Bobby Hart does not deserve a starting spot in the NFL. I'm not sure he even deserves a backup spot for the money he's getting. Wow. What Joe Burrow did, though. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I like you call, calling out the line there. Uh, but, yeah, Joe Burrow, I mean, he had, he had him in situations to win. And, unfortunately, um, the kicker, Bullock, he got a, a gruesome injury there to end the gruesome game. Injury. And they would have Hurt both his calves, apparently. Very I felt bad. bad for him. Bad <laughs> yeah, and you know Joe Burrow had some impressive throws, had some impressive moments. He's going to need to continue to grow his game. I think he had some moments where he tried to make his LSU esque plays, and he's not going to get away with it as often in the NFL, at least at the moment. So it's good that he has the confidence. It's good that he's taking shots. He had some throws that maybe could have been a little bit more. In place, I think John Ross had an easy touchdown that he let go through his hands. He needs to track the ball a little bit better. But Joe Burrow had a very strong first week, and I think Bengals fans, while the loss sucks and while putting up 13 points isn't what you want to see in your first week with this quarterback, I think there's a lot of hope to have here, and he proved it. The next rookie of the week I think is probably one of the most impressive rookies of the week, and that's Clyde Edwards-Lair. There was no one who wasn't talking about this guy after his great game on Thursday night against the Texans. 25 carries, 138 yards, and one touchdown. And, you know, I talked about it on Friday, but Clyde Edwards-Lair has one of the easiest opportunities in football in terms of no one's going to stack the box when you're dealing with Patrick Mahomes. So Clyde Edwards-Lair is going to deal with some really nice holes in the run game, and he's going to take advantage of it. He's great at making people miss. The only issue that we really saw from Thursday night's game was just at the goal line. And so while he needs to improve at that overall trucking ability, getting into the end zone, trying to make that short yardage gain when necessary, he really proved himself as an elite runner. And I think as the season goes on, we're going to see him more involved in the pass game, and he's going to have a great season. So, for all the Clyde edwards layer owners in fantasy out there, it was a great week one, and I expect another great 15 weeks out of them. Have fun. Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of the fantasy owners just were like so thrilled and gushing over this guy. Um, probably it's going to continue, but we'll see if um, the other defensive coordinators in the league, once they get some tape on him, could figure out a way to slow him down. Yeah, and that's definitely going to be a key piece of it, and I think – how you slow down these run games is having a monster on the defensive line. And that moves us to our next rookie of the week. Derek Brown for Carolina didn't put up the stats. I think that really you look for when you're looking at these rookies of the week, but three tackles, one tackle for loss for a stat line. Derek Brown's impact though, is why I have him on here. He was absolutely dominant for the Carolina Panthers. I think he was a huge piece of what they could do on defense. There's still a lot of work to be done for this Carolina defense. They're very young. Josh Jacobs had quite the day against them. But Derek Brown took up the inside and made play after play for them, whether it was adding some 
less room up in the middle of the pocket or what. But Derek Carr definitely noticed where Derek Brown was, and he felt that presence all game. Derek Brown had a lot of hate coming out. Uh, there was a lot of guys who were saying he shouldn't be worth a first-round pick even, and he's proven so far to be worth it. I look forward to seeing what Derek Brown can become as an NFL player. For my next rookie of the week, we have Chase Young, four tackles, one and a half sacks, and a forced fumble on Carson Wentz that was turned into a touchdown for the Washington football team to come back on the Philadelphia Eagles and win that game. I think when you look at what the Washington football team can do, it's really simple. This front seven is extremely impressive. You got guys like Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Ryan Kerrigan, John Allen, Matt Ioannidis, and Daron Payne. There's so much talent on this defensive line. I think having a guy like Chase Young, not only now but in the future, is going to be huge for the squad, and he has established himself as a star already. If he continues even close to this rate, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. And this Michael's got to go to Canton after – after <laughs> after one week. If he keeps it up, there's no way he doesn't. You know, speaking speaking about the Washington football team, though, did you hear that Ron Vare did an IV and at halftime he couldn't speak to the team? And your guy, Dwayne Haskins, he gave a really motivational speech that led to the comeback win against the Eagles. Uh, Haskins, I'm very low on him, but, hey, he got the job done. And the Washington football team right now in first place in the NFC East could be in sole possession by his night. Yeah, uh, Ron Rivera gets all the respect from me. I mean, when you go through so much as a head coach, obviously it's very tough to overcome just any adversity in a football game. And when you're dealing with stuff off the field that really could excuse him missing the season in all regards, like I don't think anyone would have an issue if you were like, hey, you know, I'm not trying to have IVs in my arm every halftime. I got to go. Sit the season out. I'm sorry. No one's going to hold it against him. So the fact that he's not only winning games, but he's also motivating his team, coaching this team, and leading them to wins, it's huge. Ron Rivera, hats off to him. Wish him well as he goes through everything that he's going through. But, yeah, it's a huge moment, and I hope that the team gives him a good season to enjoy while he's coaching here. For my – Final rookie of the week, C.J. Henderson put up a phenomenal game against the Colts and had a pass deflection to end it and confirm their victory. Three pass deflections on the game, five tackles, and an interception. He was put on T.Y. Hilton for a lot of snaps in this game, and he proved himself in the outing. A very strong first game from a rookie cornerback, which cornerbacks and centers generally have the most struggles as rookies. And C.J. Henderson proved he belonged in this league, and he proved that the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be very happy with him at cornerback one. And yeah, Jaguars. Comments. Jaguars undefeated. 1-0. Yeah. Big win. Henderson. Fifteen more. <laughs> they want to we win. have a comment from the comment section saying, what about Fulton with a sad face? Look, Christian Fulton doesn't play till tomorrow. So, or tonight, I mean. So, you know, maybe he'll be on here later. But, you know, right now. <laughs> Can only go off what we know. And then we have a comment about earlier with Notre Dame now officially playing their first ACC in-season football game. With the uncertainty of a lot of programs and their financial situations moving forward, is it possible we see more consolidation in the next few years with the Power 5 conferences? I think that it could very easily happen. And I think while the Power 5 conferences will likely stick, we aren't going to see consolidation in terms of moving to like a Power 4 or a Power 3 or something like that. I think we will see a lot of changes within these conferences, trying to bring up the rising programs, whether it's a program like Houston or a program like UCF or a program like Notre Dame, just trying to pay the bills to get them in there. I think we are going to see a lot of conference realignment. I mean, we won't see so much that changes – the landscape of college football. But I think we will see some changes that overall will change what we're currently used to. And it could be with Notre Dame becoming an official member of ACC Conference for Football. And it could be some more changes along the way. But I think the Power Five is obviously the you know mainstay of college football. It's the key focus of most fans. So when you bring in 
the programs that people want to see, it's huge for the success and it's huge for going forward. And I think college football is going to be paying attention to that for sure. I definitely miss the Big East. Big fan of Big East football back in the day. Uh, but, you know, to Joe's point in this question, thank you, Joe, for the question. I don't ever see the SEC expanding uh, unless they, for some reason, already got Clemson to join, which I don't think Clemson would want to do that. Uh, ACC, you know, a lot of people just think football, but the way they're huge for basketball, so that's probably never going <clears> to <throat> switch over too much. So if you're really going to talk about a true consolidation, I think you would think about some members of the the uh, the Big Twelve joining the Big Ten, and some members of the Big Ten and Pac twelve joining to to form some sort of new West Coast conference. But I just don't see how the SEC or ACC would would ever blow up what they what they got going there because they have their, they have their own networks. Yeah, if either uh, conference were to add a big college member, I think a school like Memphis would be very interesting to see because. You know, they've had some football success, and I think they offer a big enough city and platform to where a lot of recruits would enjoy that. But also this basketball program is on the uprise with Penny Hardaway stepping in at head coach. I think whether it's the Big 12 or whether it's the SEC, where they definitely aren't as talented in the basketball regard as they are for the football regard, I think bringing in a school like Memphis where you're offering potential as a football program to be a very good school and you're offering a potential powerhouse in regards to basketball, I think they offer a lot of enticing upside to conferences. So whether it's the SEC, the Big 12, which they've had rumors of expanding, or even you know the ACC, something like that, I think Memphis has to be one of the more attractive suitors for stepping in and becoming that school that comes in. Yeah, I think uh, Memphis and Kentucky would be a natural basketball rivalry right there. So, for sure. you know, why not? But, you know, that, that is a good question. So, so thank you, Joe, for that. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens here in the next season or two because there's going to be a tremendous financial impact, Michael. We, and we really won't know in, until maybe after next season where everything lies. And we kind of mentioned this in the previous episode, but – what are they going to do as far as scholarships goes? Are they going to increase scholarships to more allow more players to have a scholarship? Or, you know, do they leave it as is and there's going to be a lot of hard decisions to cut players? And if they do actually expand scholarship size, then we have to consider, okay, at what point are they going to eventually scale it back down? So teams could be, you know, when we're recruiting, Clemson could be taking advantage of the fact that they have an extra 10 scholarship spots. But then you got to know in four years you're going to lose 10 spots or something like that. So that's something that I'd be keeping an eye on. Yeah, and you look at some of these programs. Alabama has made use of recruiting gray shirts, which is guys that are coming in as preferred walk-ons. And if you're giving them more scholarships, they're going to be sure that they're filling them up. There's not going to be an issue in terms of filling the scholarship spots. You have guys that are willing to come into Alabama and fight for their spot, even if they're told, hey, you're going to be a backup as far as we know because we have a guy that we're recruiting over you. There's so many guys out there as recruits that are used to being the top dog that they hear there's competition. They think, that doesn't matter to me. I'm going to step in. I'm going to fight for this job, and I'm going to take it. And it's a great mentality to have at the same time that's just going to continue to add to these recruiting classes that are already dominant as it is. So guys like Clemson and Notre Dame and Alabama that are bringing in such high recruits are going to continue to add pieces. So I think the issue ending these scholarship totals and everything is just the fact that, you know, you run into, does it hurt the G5 and are these lower level schools going to run into that issue where you have guys that, yeah, you're getting to keep guys for another year and you're adding more experience to your lineup. But at the same time, you're taking away some of these recruits that could be added to a Clemson, to an Alabama, instead of going to a place like a Toledo or a North Dakota State or you know a Boise State, stuff like that. And while it's good that these guys are going where they want to go and it's great for them as people and you know be where you want to be, it hurts the parity in college football. And that is something that we're going to want as time goes on. We want to see this G5, P5 thing kind of mesh together where it's just we have all these great programs. And, yes, it's fun to see these powerhouse programs. And it's always going to be an SEC that kind of 
reigns over other conferences and there's going to be the Big Ten and the Big 12 and the ACC, whether it's new titles and new conference names or what, there's going to be notable conferences that are better than others. But we want to see, you know, these talented football teams and we want to see the most talented players playing. We don't want to see these filled rosters that are now having so many guys on the bench that could be starting for some other program, but it's because Clemson could offer 20 more scholarships and now they just have 20 more five stars sitting in their bench for two years. So it's, it's definitely very hard. I, I love the fact that they're giving more scholarships and they're allowing these guys more opportunity to play later, but the eligibility is definitely going to come into some questions later down the road in hindsight when we're like, wow, now we see less talent in these lower level schools in terms of prestige. Yeah. So Michael, I know you played some college ball. I don't know if you're a linebacker or an offensive lineman. I'll, I'll let you answer that. But, you know, if you put yourself in the shoes of a, a highly touted, you know, three, four, or five-star player coming out of, out of high school, would you be the type of person who would say, all right, I'll, I'll go redshirt my freshman year at, you know, this SEC school or whatever, and maybe I'll start my, my next year? Or would you want to be the type of guy that says, I want to go to a smaller school and I'll be playing right away in my freshman year. Because me personally, I would say I want to go and I want to play right away. I don't want to sit on the bench. I want to get in there and, and, and get, get playing. But I want to I'm interested to hear your take because obviously you look at it from a draft perspective. And, uh, you know, to me, it's just like, all right, you got an extra year of tape on you because a lot of these guys that are redshirting, then they just play their redshirt freshman year, the redshirt sophomore year, they run the draft. Me, I'd want to just get in there and I want to play three years and, you know, see what I can do for myself. Yeah, I played some high school ball. I, I never played any college football. Uh, I don't – other than intramural sports, the uh, flag football stuff. And I was dangerous there, but no official <laughs> college ball. But if I were a recruit, I think the most important thing would just be trying to find where I think the opportunity is best for me. And I'd be willing to sit for a year but I'd want to have a place that plans on me playing eventually. So if they were saying, Hey, you know, right now we think this recruit is going to be our starter down the line. It'd probably take me away from that school specifically. Whereas if I had a school that was saying, yeah, we're, we got a junior in place. Who's going to, we're going to have you red shirt until he's done. And then you'll step in and you'll be our starter. I'd be okay with that. If, even if I had to wait until I was a sophomore red shirt to start, but I wanted to go, I would want to go to a place that has plans for me to be the starting quarterback and takes over or starting wide receiver and takes over. So it really comes down to how much of a focus they have on who you want to become, I think. So if you're going to a place that has a history of producing these big physical wide receivers near speedster and they're saying, oh, yeah, no, we want you to start, but we're going to try to put on 35 pounds of muscle for you. We want you to your jump ball skills, your contested catching ability, I don't think it's best for these recruits. And I think that's kind of what's most important is just trying to find who's going to try to elevate you in your strengths to where you reach a level that gets you to where you want to be. And most of these guys that are playing college football want to go to the NFL and they want to find a spot that's going to let them become the best prospect they can be. So it's really about finding guys who know what your strengths are who want to improve your strengths to where you're at an NFL level, but who can also give you the opportunity to meet those expectations. Are there any schools that, you know, the way you see the program run, you would just automatically say, sorry, I don't care what you offer. Like I'm not interested in going there. I don't think that's going to be a path for success for me. I think there's a lot of schools. If I were a recruit, even if I were a better recruit really it just depends on the position fully but i would probably not be interested in taking a spot i think one of the more interesting spots right now that has produced nfl talent that i would think wouldn't be very enticing to me as a recruit would be washington state and now i guess mississippi state it and it's because when you're passing so much you don't get to prove yourself as a run blocker and it was an issue with andre dillard and it's now going to be an issue with Liam Ryan, assuming they don't pass or they don't run as much still. So when you only get to prove yourself in one side of the blocking game, you don't really get to prove yourself going forward in the other regard. And I guess on the opposite side of that coin, you look at Georgia Tech, 
They aren't going to be passing very much. So you're just kind of proving yourself as a run blocker. And there's no real film on you as a pass blocker to where a team can be comfortable in bringing you in and starting you right away. So it really depends on the school and what type of system they run. But in that same regard, I mean, if I'm a quarterback, I'm not going to Georgia Tech because I'm not really going to get to pass the ball as much. So it's going to be an issue for me. If I'm a receiver, same place. If I'm a running back, I'm probably not going to be as enticed to go to a place like Mississippi State now because they're going to be passing all game and maybe I'm a better runner than I am a receiving back. And while receiving backs offer a lot of upside, you need to prove yourself as a runner to be viewed as a great running back prospect. We saw James Williams out of Washington State was a prospect that I loved, and he never really got to run as much as he probably should have, and he ended up going undrafted. He made it on a few rosters. I believe he's still on some practice squads out there. Maybe it's the Colts practice squad at the moment, but – you know, whenever you don't really get that opportunity to prove yourself is when teams kind of stop looking at you as much. And maybe it's not on the fault of the prospect, but it's the fact that, you know, it's hard to really project in evaluations. You want to be safe and you want to take guys that you think are going to meet those standards. And even if you're not running as much and they think, oh, well, he can become a good runner. There's still kind of the, well, why don't we take this guy that's making in the run game? as compared to the guy that we think could eventually become a runner. And especially at positions like running back where the field is getting so saturated, we kind of have this issue where it's less and less about what we think they can become and more about, you know, let's just take the talent that we see already. So, I mean, you know, for me, I didn't play high school football because my school ran the three wing, the wishbone, uh, and they would pass maybe twice a year, but it's like fourth and 30. So, for me, as a skinny, little, lanky, tall guy, there was no place for me to play to play football because I was not going to be able to block and I wasn't going to be – I couldn't use my speed. But, you know, obviously I'm not that good at football as some of these guys. But what's always interesting to me is when you see a situation like with Alabama where they're known for running the ball, ground and pound, and then you see Saban, he gets Tua, he must have promised him, like, hey, I'm going to totally change my offense just for you to throw the ball. And I, I really wonder – you know, how the process of recruiting works. Do people make those promises and say, you know what, we're going to tool our whole offense around you. You saw Chip Kelly did it with Marcus Mariota, and that was a huge success. So I really wonder if, if a lot of these coaches are saying, you know what, I got my system in place, we're going to continue the system, or, oh, hey, you're so good that I'm willing to change my whole offense for you. And we see that the pro level now, too, where coaches are, are changing their whole offense just to, just to help their quarterback as seen with Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson. Yeah, and I think that's one of the biggest things that go into coaching is adaptability. And if you're someone who's kind of stubborn, stuck in your ways and not willing to change for the changing of the game, for working to your roster, and for getting the best use out of what you have, then you're probably not going to last as a head coach. And I think we see that oftentimes with these guys that kind of come in and they think, oh, I'm going to run a 3-4 no matter what, and that's just how this team's going to have to deal with it. And then you're putting this GM in a situation where you have to force guys that fit the scheme because you're stuck with this 4-3 defense that doesn't really have the capability to run a 3-4. And now both of these guys are kind of put in this spot where they're trying to adapt this situation, and they're trying to turn a 4-3 defense that doesn't fit a 3-4 at all into a 3-4 in two years before this coach is now on the hot seat and looking at getting fired. So yeah. it's it's a common issue, and there's so many head coaches that just become so stubborn and stuck in their ways that they just sit around and try to force their way until they're out of the door. And I think we're seeing that right now with Matt Patricia in Detroit. People are saying, hey, post game, they said, do you think that there's issues with the way you call defense? And he says, oh, I have one of the best defensive calls in history. I don't think I have an issue in fourth quarter defense at all. And he's talking about that Malcolm Butler interception on Russell Wilson. Look, the Seahawks are driving down that field, and if they run the ball, they probably win the game. So the fact that he's calling this instead of saying, yeah, there's changes that need to be made, we need to find a way to shut down these offenses in the fourth quarter and hold on to these leads, it's it's an issue. And you need to swallow your pride a bit, and you really need to make into what can be best for your squad, what can you know adapt for the game and I don't think Patricia's doing it and it's become an issue of a lot of Patriots coaches and why they don't succeed when they leave is because they try to establish this Patriots culture but 
you can't establish a Patriots culture without the respect that's built up through being successful like the Patriots have. So, yes, Bill Belichick's a great coach, and he, but the reason he is a great coach isn't because he's a, a hard-ass to his players. It's because he adapts for what's going to be most successful week after week. Look, look, look what Henry McDaniels do it with Cam Newton. Yep. You know, there's the most rushing yards or attempts by a quarterback uh, in like 30 years for, for a Patriot. Of course, Brady gets a rushing touchdown, classic Brady with the Bucks. But, uh, you know, just real quick here before we move on, I do not really understand the 3-4 defense. I don't see why – well, I don't see why that's like the newest trend in the NFL now. You know, I grew up traditional, like everybody was in the 4-3. I saw the Giants win two Super Bowls at the 4-3 with amazing pass rushing with Strahan, Junior coming off the edges, and you, know, you get two D tackles in there to really stop the run. Um, I just feel like the the four three, you know, m- maybe you don't get as many rushing off the edge as you do, you know, with the four three um, for like pass rush. But if your rushers are good enough, they're still going to get there. I think the four three just really is a lot better to stop the run. That's just my opinion. Curious. No, I understand that for sure. And the reason I think the three four has gained so much popularity is because it offers versatility. You know, if you want to rush both edge rushers, that's fine. But if you want to drop one of them into coverage, you're kind of disguising which who's going to be dropping. And it creates this kind of uncertainty for defenses and for offenses. And, you know, when you're an offense, with how easy the pass game has gotten, it's not like so easy that it's just, you know, you can throw all downfield and whatever. But the pass game has gotten to where there's so many capabilities to scheme guys open. And so now – defenses are bringing in, you know, these three, four looks, these dime package looks and stuff like that to where you're really kind of making the offense question what's going to happen. And the biggest thing is just disguising what front you are running. So if you're having two stand-up linebackers, you don't know which one's going to blitz or if either are going to blitz. And that's kind of the biggest thing of it is trying to disguise your defense, trying to make so much bring in as much versatility as you can so that you're never stuck doing one thing over and over. So then the QB can't get used to anything and can't get, you know, adjustments from his offensive coordinator that allow for him to just pick apart your defense all game. And when you're in a four, three, while you can do that same kind of concept, you're having a lot of guys hand in the dirt, ready to go at the passer. So it becomes that issue of, you know, you're not really trying to have guys come out of a, hand in the dirt position to dropping into coverage and stuff like that. So I think the three, four is probably just best in terms of disguising what you're going to do and keeping the quarterback guessing. Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of the SEC teams have gotten that way. That's why I keep seeing a lot of these great uh, pass rushers come out of the SEC. Uh, is there any, any, any SEC prospects you're really uh, keeping your eye on here this season? Yeah. So for my top SEC prospects of the season heading into what will be a September 26th start date. At quarterback, we got Kyle Trask out of Florida. He's really seemed to set himself up as a prospect after a great season last season, and he is now being looked at very closely by NFL evaluators. I think he still needs to improve in terms of zip on his passes. There's a lot left to be desired in that regard. He lobs the ball a bit. Not as much, you know, velocity on his throws as you'd like out of a big quarterback like himself. But he has shown that he is very capable as quarterback. He has won big games for Florida, and they are going to be one of the most talented rosters out there. Look for Kyle Trask to be someone that NFL evaluators are watching and discussing all season. At running back, we got Najee Harris for Alabama. They are always going to have great talent at the running back position. This year, it's Harris. I think he's an absolute monster. Yes, he has some yes, he has some issues in terms of overall speed. He's not going to be your super versatile, super flashy running back, but I think he's going to be able to pick up yards game after game. I think whenever you look at where he fits most, I think this is an easy fit for Miami. Getting a guy like Najee Harris kind of fits what they want to do in the run game and I think the Dolphins kind of left the position open last season. We didn't see them fill it. They, br- they brought in Jordan Howard and Matt Breida, who are good, but I think they're going to still eventually pick a running back, and Najee Harris seems like a perfect fit for that. At wide receiver, we have Jamar Chase, who is a absolute playmaker, opted out of this season, so we won't be seeing him much for evaluation 
there's only 2019 film or, you know, whether you see him at the combine, stuff like that. But this guy made plays all season, whether he was working out of the slot, whether he was working outside. He was Joe Burrow's number one target and an absolute stud. Jamar Chase will probably be the number one wide receiver off the board. If not, that means someone had a crazy season this year, which I don't expect anyone to match what Chase was able to do last season. At tight end, we got Kyle Pitts, and I love what Kyle Pitts can do as a stretch tight end. He doesn't offer the blocking versatility that a lot of you know, traditional NFL offenses want to run, but we are seeing a lot of guys head for that wide tight end trend, and Kyle Pitts is one of them. Very excellent option for your offense if you need a weapon in the passing game. On the offensive line, we got Trey Smith. For me, Trey Smith is an elite offensive lineman who has dealt with health issues, had multiple times where he had to step away from the game due to blood clots. I think if it weren't for these blood clots, he would be a first-rounder. But now with the issue and concern surrounding him, he will probably be a day-two pick, more based on the fact that, you know, if you're bringing him in, you're bringing in a great offensive lineman, but you just worry about if he has to step away from the game. Some of the issues that I saw on him from film – I think is mostly just accounted to the fact that he hasn't gotten to play consistently. I think with a full season under his belt, assuming he has full health this year, he could put in a great season for the Tennessee volunteers and really establish himself in this draft at the defensive yeah. line. Spot. So I just want to quick before I go to defense here. I just wanted to, to make a point on Jamar Chase. You know, if anything playing this year, it could have just maybe hurt his, his stock because he loses Burrow. I think the Tigers lost like seven or eight offensive starters. So could have been a little harder for him, you know, with the new QB there and all eyes are on him. You know, you didn't have, you don't have uh, Moss over there as another target for people to keep their eye on. So, you know, if anything, maybe this actually helps him just remain at the top of the draft board. Yeah. And I think this LSU offense is going through so much change that, Having a guy like Chase would have been huge for them, but at the same time, it probably would have hurt Chase in his overall stock because this offense is just – it'd be almost impossible for them to meet what they did last season, especially given the offseason that they've gone through. So opting out is probably better for him. We've already seen what he can do. NFL evaluators know this guy's going to be a stud. So putting him through a season where he maybe doesn't produce as highly as some of the other more flashy – Offenses out there probably would have hurt him, even though it wasn't deserved. So I agree with you in that regard. Moving on to the defense, I think Christian Barmore is someone that we're, we're going to see fly up draft boards once he can really get to play and establish himself as a prospect. Right now, I haven't seen a lot of hype for him from the main consensus media, but this guy is going to take over on the Alabama, on the Alabama defensive line and really create chaos up the middle. This Alabama defense, year after year, is very talented. Christian Barmore continues that streak and will be a stud, along with LeBron Ray. Keep an eye out for him as well. On the edge, we got Big Cat Bryant. I talk about this versatility from edge rushers. If you have him at 3-4 outside linebacker, you can have him drop into coverage. You can have him rush the passer. Having guys like Big Cat Bryant and other versatile edge rushers is huge for your success as a defensive coordinator or as a team in general. And I think Big Cat Bryant doesn't get the, you know, appreciation at the moment because he hasn't produced these gaudy numbers that some of these other edge prospects have. But I think Bryant is versatile enough to where he will provide for a defense immediately on day one. At linebacker, we got Dylan Moses, who missed last season due to an injury. But I think he comes in, reestablishes himself as a great linebacker, and will most likely be the second linebacker off the board. There are still some issues from this film, but he was very young, and the talent was easy to see. Now, coming into what will be his third – no, fourth season, sorry, will be his fourth season due to the injury. We're going to see Moses with a much more polished game. He's going to be a leader of this Alabama defense, and I expect him to be a star for the Crimson Tide. At cornerback, we have Patrick Sertain, the second. Now – One thing that is interesting about him is that he may not be playing outside cornerback this year. He may be playing the star role for Alabama's defense. I think in the NFL, whether he's 
he's playing corner or whether he's playing safety, he's going to be very dependable and very solid. You know, whether you need him to play corner or safety, I think teams could move him around. And I think that's what the enticing part about him is, you know, having a versatile guy will be huge for your defense and having it in a young piece on a rookie contract is even more valuable. So looking at a place like Indianapolis where they really need some cornerback help, but they also have some issues with Malik Hooker and health, having a guy like this would be huge. At safety, we have Richard LeCount the third. I think he doesn't get a lot of appreciation at the moment, and I'm not sure why. He's an absolute stud for Georgia. I think he should be a first-round pick. Whether it's laying down the wood or being a coverage safety, he is very capable of being a star in that regard. I think a lot of defenses would appreciate a guy like LeCount. You look at guys like Brandon Jones, I think, last year, really proved themselves, but didn't get the love that was deserved. And I think LeCount's better than Brandon Jones, but at the same time, they both just kind of did their job in a lot of regards and didn't get the love for it that they probably deserved. This season, I'm hoping that we kind of open our eyes to the fact that Richard LeCount is going to be a star in the NFL, and scouts realize it too. So this is your SEC prospects for the season to keep an eye on. Uh, Nick, any prediction? Any predictions for who comes out of the SEC this season? Who the winners are? Man, I would love to see Florida, <laughs> Florida win, but uh, I guess you got to go with Alabama. Unfortunately, <laughs> hey Alabama, Georgia and Alabama in the SEC championship game. Um, yeah. be, Never count that Auburn. They always seem to every few years pop up there and you know do what they got to do uh, to take care of Alabama. But uh, just in this in this unknown year, I think we'll have to go with uh, the two favorites there out of the SEC. Um, LeCount and Harris. They both were uh, in the Bleacher Report office when I was there in 2016 when they were. Uh, um, in high school. So that was really interesting to see. Everyone said these guys are going to be big-time stars, and obviously uh, you agree that both of them are going to be, um, did you say, day one picks? You know, I think, I think probably both of them end up on day two, and it's just because their positions are often overlooked. Mm-hmm. Running back, it's hard to find a spot, and most teams have just passed on the idea of running backs around one ever. Hopefully, you know, maybe the Chiefs drafting Clyde edwards Lair really makes people say, well, if the best team in the league is doing it, maybe we should reconsider. But I think for the most part, a lot of these guys are not going to have that same opportunity to get drafted in the first round. So Najee Harris, probably round two guy, maybe round three if things don't go to plan this season. And then like count. I would like to see him day one. I think he's worthy of a day one pick, but I think he also will probably be day two when it's all said and done. Yeah, it seems like a lot of times safeties out of the SEC go early in the second round. People trade up for them. Um, you know, recently we had Landon Collins. Um, that kind of worked out, kind of didn't. So something to keep an eye on. But for a look at the game of football from a coaching, scouting, administrative perspective, go to LandryFootball.com today from high school college to the NFL from recruiting to the NFL draft to free agency from pregame to postgame film analysis to all the insights from players, teams, coaches, schemes, and all the comments. Your source for all things football. Thank you for joining and please help us spread the word that you can catch us on the Chris Landry Twitch channel at www.twitch.tv slash Chris Landry TV slash Chris Landry Football. And you can listen to the podcast in World Device by signing up for Landry Football's conference call wherever you get your podcast. So that's going to do it here. I'm Nick Durst. And for Michael Rockman, this has been another episode of Destination Draft Day right here on the Chris Landry Football Network. Take care, guys. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus.